Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, Episode 153, Stalin Bio, Part 1. If someone were to ask you of the influence of Alexander of Macedon in history, the first thing your brain would probably do is tack on the great. And although you may not be able to answer the question in any detailed way, you would probably still think of him as Alexander the Great. The same would be true for Tsar Peter of Russia, for those who have studied him. The great naturally follows Peter. Yet Stalin was known as had earned the title of the Great in his lifetime. Yet many Westerners do not attach this honorific now. Yet it was Stalin that remained standing as Western Russia was lost to the Germans during the summer and fall of 1941. Coming directly at him was the greatest, best-trained, most experienced army on the planet at the time. And what did Stalin do? He knew he could not win outright at the moment. So he threw men, millions of them, though ill-equipped and ill-trained, at the German hordes as they approached Leningrad, Moscow, and Stalingrad. Many, if not most, of these men were lost relatively quickly. But Stalin kept the process going, if only to use up the time before the winter and, coincidentally, use up many German bullets and shells. And this bloody, bloody tactic worked. In time, Russian forces, with the material help from the United States and Great Britain, managed to overcome the Wehrmacht, and at first, slowly pushed back the invaders. In truth, it was the Russians who broke the back of Hitler's forces, who caused those very invading soldiers to react in fear with the idea of being sent to the Eastern Front. And yet Stalin is not known today in the West as the Great. And this makes sense. After all, his deeds before and after the Great Patriotic War were mostly cruel, self-serving, heedless of what those people affected, thought, or wanted. Furthermore, Stalin never gave up any territory his men captured. He never let go of those he had trapped behind his most Western line. He had his reasons, of course, but as the Allied soldiers were desirous to get the hell out of all those countries and go home, Stalin kept his men in place, who knew better than to complain. Stalin was not concerned with public opinion, having killed millions of his own 
through starvation in between the two great wars. Instead, his major concern centered around that if there was another war in his lifetime, and why shouldn't he think that, Russia, having been invaded twice by Germany, it would be fought on someone else's land and in someone else's cities. And this makes sense when one looks at both world wars and what Russia suffered. And yet Stalin is not called the Great. Well, he certainly wasn't good, but he did things that changed the world, and so, for better or worse, has earned that title. The description great does not always have to mean good or charitable. So, as we cover his life, we will view the world, his world, and his acts, and let the cards fall where they may. Perhaps one day, someone will come up with a word that conveys a person who changes the world, raises theirs to its greatest heights, while lowering so many others, and leaves behind graves far more than can ever be counted of his own people and others. Before jumping into the story of the man who would one day be known to the world as Stalin, it's important to remember that he was not born into nobility, thus being just a few steps away from the Tsar's throne. No, the boy was born far away, physically and socioeconomically. But Stalin is not alone in being born into a lowly state, to then rise as far as someone can go in his own or someone else's country. Napoleon was born in Corsica, but would rule a French empire. Hitler was an Austrian, but would come to dominate the German state, and, sadly for the world, its powerful army. So, how did Stalin come to rule over the largest country in the world, and subsequently dominate so much of the world's history for decades? That, this story must show. Suffice it to say, there were major changes in Stalin's and Russia's world. Russia would clash with the powerful British to the west and the recently coalesced Japanese empire to the east, not to mention the emerging American empire. Changes that shook up what everyone in Russia knew or believed. And in that chaos, this young man would find opportunities. Was it his goal to rule the world? Who can say? But he knew he certainly did not want to be ruled over seeing himself as more cunning than most. This trait, or fear of domination, he shared with other notable leaders, like Hitler, who had to have control, even in his world of imagination. As this podcaster does not believe in the concept of evil, that someone is evil and out to destroy everything around them, with the help of the or some devil, but rather is seeking freedom of control by anyone else, Stalin would grow up and seek to rise as high as his intelligence and childhood-produced trauma-made ruthlessness would let him. Yet it would be false to say that his life was somehow harder than most others. That simply wasn't the case. Yes, his father, a modest cobbler, beat him. His mother, a washerwoman and seamstress, doted on him. The classic ingredients of any psychopath. Someone who hates any domineering figure, but is told over and over again, he is special. Did he want to be more than his father? Probably. That would be the best kind of revenge. 
Did he want power over the church as he understood it? Probably. It was just another power base to control, judge, and punish those it found wanting with the blessing of God. Did he want to shine brighter than Lenin, another father figure? Probably. But that determination will be left up to the audience. Apropos of one's childhood helping carve out the man, Stalin's injury that would leave his left arm shorter than his right, his left elbow barely functional, would cause the young man afterward to hide this, while trying to overcompensate for it. Duality seems to be a constant companion of the human condition. So Stalin had a hard childhood, made worse by his father's abuse and his parents' poverty. But he had a quick wit, was perceptive, a narcissist, and always sought to advance himself. In short, he was ambitious, but again, not in an evil way. We all wake up, do what we have to do to get by, and hopefully get ahead. In fact, there seems to be just one thing Stalin cared about outside of himself and his mother. The revolution, the cause, the fight against czarism, the abstract idea of social justice. Does this seem weird? It shouldn't. Every young man who has grand or romantic thoughts about his future, especially this would-be poet, eventually finds something to dedicate himself to. For Stalin, it was the cause, and it would propel him into lofty circles and create, again, opportunities. The rest was up to the man and chance. When Stalin, or Yosef Jugashvili, was born on December 18, 1878, he was a Russian by the simple expedient that Imperial Russia had haltingly expanded its borders, taking the Caucasus and his hometown of Gori in the 1860s and 70s. This entire process had started some 50 years earlier, when Georgia's Christian rulers, attempting to keep out the Muslim Ottoman and the Muslim Savavids, practically invited the Christian Russians in for protection. This worked, but soon the Georgian Bagrationi dynasty found itself ejected along with the independent patriarch of the Georgian Orthodox Church, and was replaced with the Russian Orthodox Church, called the Exarch. The Georgians should have been careful for what they asked for. Russia was here to stay in the Caucasus, between the Caspian and Black Seas. And after the Georgians quit fighting for independence, they logically started marrying into Russian families learning the language, and attempted to find ways to promote themselves in this new Russian world. Stalin's hometown, Gori, or the hill, was located in the eastern Georgian valley of the Kura River and was, in local terms, an important place. For hundreds of years, Gori was a place of rest on a caravan trail at the junction of three roads. One road went to the west to the Black Sea, the eastern road to the Caspian, and the northern route to the steppe grasslands. In other words, it was a place of some import. But soon the caravan trail was replaced by a railroad. In 1871, a rail line was built that ran from Tiflis, the Caucasian capital, to Ponte, a port on the Black Sea, and Gori was along its route. 
and being dominated by merchants and the Orthodox Church, education was considered important. Important enough to make sure that one in ten of the town's boys were in school. Stalin would one day be among one of those one in ten. Stalin's father, Basarian Jugashvili, he lived from 1850 to 1909, was known as Beso, was not an original Gorian. Beso's paternal grandfather was a serf, as was Beso's father, Vano. Vano would not live through his fifties, and Beso's older brother was killed by bandits. The surviving Beso left the area for Tiflis, where he would become a shoemaker at an Armenian shop. Only in 1870, when Beso was 20, did he move to Gori to work for another Armenian business owner. Beso's new boss, Baramov, the name had been Russified, supplied the nearby imperial garrison with boots and other clothing. Throughout the caucus were some 128,000 Russian soldiers, keeping an eye on the locals. In time, Beso, enjoying the work and earning a solid reputation as a cobbler, cobbled some money together from friends and opened his own shop. Now that he was his own man, Beso sent an official matchmaker to the house of Ketevan Keke Gelatza. She was eight years younger, a reported beauty with large, attention-getting eyes. As her parents were serf, this was a good prospect for them and their daughter. Their permission was quickly given. The wedding took place in May of 1874 in Gori's Cathedral of the Assumption. Married life seems to have satisfied the bride and the groom. She was the envy of many of her friends, and now former friends, whereas Beso got on with his work, his standing in the community rising as he had corralled the young beauty. Of course, Beso drank regularly, as did most of those in Gori. In fact, at times, he was paid with alcohol, but generally, times were good. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Four years later, in December 1878, KK had her third child, Joseph Jugashvili, later known as Stalin. Alas, the two previous male children did not live very long. 
This left Joseph, or Soleso, or Soso, as he was known, as an only child. The small family lived near the Russian Quarter's imperial barracks. Beso's workshop was in a basement. As can be imagined, Keke never let Soso, her only surviving child, out of her sight. She constantly fussed over him and made almost daily trips to the church to pray for his soul. The young Soso Jugashvili had the run of the town with his mother in tow, and the family's standing was about to improve. Beso had enough work to take on two artisan apprentices. Not that the family lived in any style, eating lobio, red beans, and lavash, flatbread, along with potatoes and eggplants stuffed with spice walnut paste. When Soso wasn't running around, Keke would sing to him, and Beso, when he was at home, would play the duduk, a double reed flute made out of apricot wood. But there were also less festive times. Beso was a brooder. Perhaps it was the early deaths of his first two sons, but Beso would come home drunk sometimes and scare the family with his dark silence, then sudden violence. The marriage began to fall apart. As the once happy family was moving apart, the rumors soon started, like KK was flirting with other successful men, wanting a better life, that Beso really wasn't the father of Soso. And those men of authority prowled around Beso's house, waiting for him to leave to go to work. The truth is, there is no evidence for any of these accusations, but they reached Beso's ears anyway. Who would call Soso Keke's little bastard? This hostility could have made very little sense to the boy, nor the time when Beso grabbed his wife by the throat and called her a whore. Soon after, in 1884, Beso left for Tiflis, finding work for another Armenian who owned his own tannery. Not having Beso's income supporting them, Keke and Soso soon found life much harder. They would move nine times in the next ten years. But worse was to come. That same year that Beso left, Soso came down with smallpox, as did many children of Gori that year. All around him, children died, but Soso slowly got better. Yet his face would be left permanently scarred. Soon the name Chapura, or Poxy, was attached to the fatherless child. Right after the smallpox scare, Soso found that his left elbow and shoulder lost much of their strength and use. For a six-year-old, just learning to control his body, this had to be devastating. It could have been genetic or the result of physical trauma from a wrestling match or blood poisoning after a dangerous stunt with a horse-drawn carriage. Either way, and the true cause was never discovered, the boy's left arm was reduced in length, his left elbow all but unresponsive. But as we will see, Soso was a survivor. He was also ambitious, though whether that came from his mother or him is not known. Soso was still alive, whereas many other children, after the smallpox outbreak, weren't. That's what mattered. It was time to get on with life. Stalin's mother got to work as a cleaner and a repairer of other people's clothes. It was not glamorous, 
After all, Kike had been one of the few females in the area to be taught how to read and write as a child, hence the desire for advancement. But she kept food on the table. In 1886, Beso, the father having been gone for about two years, but still sending his family money when he could, the woman and child moved into the home of Father Chakarviani. It may have been simply the need for a roof over their heads. However, Keke, the strong, determined, ambitious mother, soon was begging the father to help Soso, who showed aptitude and a true hunger for knowledge, into the Gori Church School in late 1886. For whatever reason, that desire failed to materialize. But she did get the father's permission to allow Soso to sit in with his teenage sons as they gave their younger sister Russian lessons. Soso absorbed the lessons, and though being eight years old, was still young enough to incorporate the new language into his world. But what was clear to those who stopped to pay attention was that Soso was a bookworm. He read whatever he could and absorbed it. One can't help but comparing him to Mussolini, who said something to the effect that, to understand a book, one only need read the first three pages, the middle three, and the last three. In September of 1888, though at the age of ten, thus being two years older than most of the other boys, Soso was allowed into the parish school's preparatory program for Georgian boys. The program was supposed to be for two years, but such was Soso's ability to retain what he was exposed to that he completed the course in a single year. It must be pointed out that achievements like this rarely come from parental pressure, but from a true desire to better oneself or to get away from a frightful prospect. And this seemed to be the case for the young Georgian boy, edging his way into the wider, more sophisticated Russian world. After this single year of hard work, Soso got to start the more advanced four-year curriculum. And there were two more advantages to all this work. One, Soso got attention and praise for his alto singing voice. He loved to sing and to be heard singing. And two, he got away from his mother for a time. Yes, Keke loved her only surviving child, but was domineering, beating the boy at times when he did not live up to her expectations. Soso's bruises did not come just from Bezos' fists, but at the time, corporal punishment was not considered unusual. Yet Soso's trajectory was not always upward. In January of 1890, the boy had another run-in with a carriage, and this conveyance certainly was not common in Gori at the time. That day, either the driver lost control or Soso was playing his own game of chicken with it. If the latter is true, then the carriage certainly won by running over the boy's legs. Stalin's gait would never be the same again, which led to another nickname. Children are one of the cruelest forces on the planet. The nickname was Geza, or Crypt. It was then that Beso returned and took Soso to Tiflis for better medical treatment. K.K. followed along, refusing to be separated from her child. 
The doctors in the capital helped the boy as much as they could, but then Beso kept the boy with him, apprenticing him at the tannery. This was common enough, and for a while the pair would go to work together, the boy enjoying being around his father when he was calm, and the father teaching his son his trade. Thus did Stalin get to experience, far before he knew anything of the proletariat world, factory life. He didn't like it. The days were long, pay was low, and the two things Soso had to offer, his wonderful singing voice and his growing knowledge, were not important here. But this time for Soso was to be short-lived, for Storm Kiki was coming, and in her wake was the influence of her church connections. No, Soso, like Hitler at this point, was meant for the church. The Tiflis church elders stepped in with a compromise. Why not let the boy stay with his father, he was learning a good trade, and sing in our choir? But Keke was determined as ever, saying no to every suggestion she wanted her boy back. Now, and they were returning to Gori. He would be attending the school year in late 1890. Period. Stalin's mother got her way, and Beso, in fact, followed them back, begging Keke for a reunion. This wasn't the first time. But just as before, her answer was no. So Beso played the only card he had left. He quit sending money to his family. Soon Soso was told he would have to leave school as his tuition was still pending. But then in stepped the family's longtime friend and former neighbor, whose wife suckled Soso as a baby because his own mother produced so little milk, Uncle Yakov Ignatsvili. He paid the 25-ruble tuition. Was Uncle Yakov simply being nice? Did he see the potential in Soso? Or was there something between the man and Keke? We will never know. As Soso was about to enter his teens, he began the great journey of discovering himself. Through the last few years, he had tried out different names. One was a diminutive form of his father's, and one from a character in a book, Koba. Or perhaps the young disfigured youth was simply trying to replace the nicknames from his pockmarked face and injured legs. Either way, it says something about Stalin that he took on a name other than his that wasn't his father's, and he demanded that everyone call him the one he had chosen, Koba. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 
Koba was a character from a very popular book, in which the lowborn find love, but are crushed and eventually die at the hands of the powerful. It is only Koba who promised to avenge their deaths that survives. It should also be noted that Uncle Yakov's nickname, when younger, was Koba as well. So who Stalin was paying homage to is unclear. With his family's life more or less settled without him, Beso would soon leave Gori and disappear completely. Sosa went back to school, but would find that he had to repeat the last year, as the injury to his legs forced him to miss too much school. The boy simply put his head down and barreled through, working harder than all the others, always showing up on time, never giving the teachers any trouble. Yet he gave fellow students trouble when they taunted him when he spoke Georgian. Despite his weak left arm, Soso, or Koba, to his friends and enemies, was a strong wrestler. Meanwhile, Keke worked just as hard to keep the boy in school. She cleaned the building at night that the boy studied in during the day. She also became a seamstress for a local shop. During the next school year, Soso's grades rose to such an extent that the school waived his fees and paid him a stipend, and then raised it. In the spring of 1894, Soso, or Koba, graduated. He was 15 years old. The next step was the Gori Teacher's Seminary. But then the local choir master, a good friend of Stalin's, had told him and his mother that he would soon be leaving to move on to the Tsar Alexander Teaching Training School, and he offered to take Sosa with him, and that came with an offer of a state-funded scholarship. This was an amazing honor for someone of Sosa's background, but the boy, and to some degree I'm sure his mother, decided to decline. Instead, he would sit for the entrance examinations for the theological seminary of Tiflis, the idea being to become a priest. The exams went well, except for arithmetic. Bible studies, Russian catechism, Greek, here he could have helped his future ally Churchill, geography, and penmanship. All Kiki's and Soso's dreams were coming true. Not only was the now-teenager at one of the two most advanced schools in the area, but after his six-year course was over, the graduate could expect, at the very least, to be a parish priest or a teacher in some Georgian village with all the respect that came with such a position. But Keke's and Soso's vision and expectations did not settle on the very least. If the boy continued on with his current level of academic achievements and his singing, he could find himself, in time, at a major university somewhere far away within the Russian Empire. The boy come teenager, Iosef Soso Koba, after his shaky start, was on his way to great things. Thanks to his natural intelligence, hard work, his mother's focused determination, and the Russian church. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. This is Ray Ray, like Soso and KK. Um, just to let you know, I am not going to stop Operation Barbara Stories 
Uh, I'm going to keep those going. This I'm just going to intermingle with those stories. So one week will be uh, Barbarossa, the next week will be Stalin's bio, and we'll just go until we get them caught up to uh, June 22nd, 1941, and we'll see how it goes from there. So I'll be weaving the, the two uh, together, and I hope you enjoy learning about Stalin as we watch as he defends his country.